The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 tonight, and we're going to do 12 verses. And I know for those of you that know me, know you're not going to be here till midnight. Uh, we're going to get this done in a timely manner. Uh, the title of the Bible study tonight is that you may know. That you may know. That you may know who Jesus is. That you may know the Jesus that, that we know from a historic standpoint, but that you might also know that Jesus is God. That you might know his, you might know that he's divine, that he's de- deity, that the baby that was born in Christmas, at Christmas time, is the baby that is the same person that the angels worship and that you were worshiping just now. I have a pastor friend, he's 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 a great guy. He's got a he's got a real pastor's heart. And for a period of time, on a weekly basis, he was visiting uh, memory care. And so, uh, you know, at the same time every week, he would go to visit a gentleman there. And I believe the gentleman had been a doctor. And so he would go and he would interact with him. You know, they were on first name basis. They enjoyed each other's company. And uh, as he came to the, to the door going into memory care, he would, there, you know, there was um, one of the staff people was there and they kind of, they had to push a button in order for you to go through the door. You know, I'm, are you tracking with me? You know, you got to like push, push a button and then he could go in. And then when he, when he exited, when he left, they would, you know, he would give him, this is basically what he would do. He'd go, give him the high sign and push at the button, push at the door, and you hear, and then he would exit. So he's telling me one day he goes in, and, you know, it's just like every other time. There's a lot of familiarity. The staff knows him, and he knows the staff, and he comes to the door, gives the high sign, points at the door, and he enters in. What he didn't know is they hired a new staff person. And so when it came time for him to leave, you know, he was walking up, just looked kind of in the direction of where the staff person was, gave him the high sign, pushed at the door, and there was no wah. There was no buzzard. And so he looked over at the guy, and he points at the door, and the guy goes, mm-mm, we're not going to let you out. You're supposed to stay in here. You have to some warm milk and stales, graham crackers waiting for you, buddy. So he, he finally worked it out. But my point is, is Jesus gives us this story. Mark gives us this story so that you may know that you may know who Jesus is. It's certain that you have biblical knowledge of who Jesus is, but when we realize that Jesus is God, remember he would tell Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that you may know. And the title comes from, Mark, uh, from our story tonight from, chapter, from verse 10. Jesus' words to the scribes. So let's go ahead and get into this. Our takeaway is, is don't miss the Savior celebrating the miracle. I'm not in any way telling you don't celebrate the miracle. We're going to do that tonight. But don't miss the Savior. Don't miss God in light of the miracle. Celebrate the miracle, but then worship God. Celebrate the miracle to change the transformation in an individual's life. But while you do that, Be sure to worship God. Perhaps not many Bible stories have as much traction in children's ministry as our passage tonight. Trust me, Sunday school teachers have used or incorporated everything from flannel graphs to video clips of a talking talking tomato and a cucumber depicting the healing of the 
peril, peril. Yeah, there you go. Can you imagine children listening to a teacher explain to them what happened in Jesus' life? And you know, the boys are really into the part where the, the, the fellows climb up on the roof and, um, and, and, do some, and do some work up there. Rightfully so, it's the paralytics, God at that time, friends who are noted for their faith, who are highlighted for bringing their friend in great need to Jesus. That's what we know them for. Think four men who demo a roof faster than your go-to remodel show on HGTV. And that happens pretty quick. Matter of fact, a lot of people get into remodeling because they watch these shows. They hear the, the expense, right? Oh, we can handle that. And it all happens within an hour. And then, you know, you get into it and it's just a little bit of a different experience. As a matter of fact, the hole in the roof thing, the opening up of the roof in order to drop him down, is something that's never brought up when the church is looking for homes to host growth groups. You know, Pastor Martin shows up at your house and you find him out front looking at your roof and you begin to wonder what's going on here. What's he thinking about? The faith of the men is rewarded as Jesus tells the man, the paralytic, to get up, something he couldn't do prior, to get up, to take his bed or his mat, and to go home. The miracle is amazing. But sometimes when vegetables tell the story, sometimes when the story is told quickly, something gets lost in all of the excitement. Mark lets us know that the experts in the law were present in the group, in the crowd, in that home. He then turns to us and whispers in our ears that Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking about him. Not the teaching, not the fact that this individual's being lowered down in this living room, but Jesus knows what they're thinking about him. And Jesus knows what every human being on the face of this planet is thinking as they consider creation, as they, cre as they consider their own heart's ability to determine between what is right and what is wrong, we might call that a conscience, as they look at creation and humanity. I got to tell you something. When, uh, when, we, when Wanda gave birth to our two daughters, I wept. And then when my daughters gave birth to their children, I wept again because of the miracle of life. And when we have those moments, when our hearts are touched, it is a reminder of a creator, of a God, who gives life and gives love. These Religious leaders are bothered because Jesus forgives the man's sin, perhaps man's greatest need, right? And we could have said that the man needed to walk and we would have been right. The four friends would have said he needs to walk, and yet Jesus forgives his sins. I think it's interesting that he's so willingly to forgive sins. We may ask the question why he leads 
why he leads the conversation. And why are they, why are they bothered? Why are they angry with Jesus? And it's simply because of this. The forgiveness of sins is only something that God can do. And so when Jesus forgives sins of this man publicly in this setting, he's declaring his divinity. Most of us believe that Jesus is God, right? Check the box, right? Check the box. Buy the T-shirt. Get the tattoo. Download the app. We would say we believe that Jesus is God. We look at the stories within the scriptures. We consider the change in our lives and the change in the lives of others. And we would say categorically, without a doubt, Jesus is God. And if we believe it, we will worship him If we believe it, if we take it to heart, we will follow him, and most of us, if you're anything like me, will follow him imperfectly. Mark reminds us to not overlook the Savior while running victory laps because of the miracle. On the one hand, we greatly appreciate God's mercy shown to a man who was lame, But we also worship Jesus because he alone saves us from our sins. This is a little premature, but in February of next year, February, I understand, the 12th of 2023, in State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, Super Bowl 57. I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of you in the room will. You believe right now that your team will be on that field. You believe that your team will have made its way through the course of a regular football season and then through the playoffs and then find themselves on that field. And I hope it's true. But your greatest hope, if you're a football fan, is that they will lift high the Lombardi trophy in the air, have all the pictures being taken, confetti coming down like rain, and they will have the ability to say, we are the champions of the world. I can tell by the look on some of the ladies' faces, they could care less. Ladies, think about the commercials that will be shown during that period of time. But listen, and regardless of what happened during the game, regardless if that team, your team, excuse me, your team is losing right up until the final minutes or seconds, even seconds, if they win that game, they are undisputed champions. Oh, it will be disputed by the other team for a couple of weeks after, but after a period of time when the jerseys have all been sold and the confetti has all been cleaned up, if it is your team, you will walk with your shoulders back a little bit and your head a little higher because they are the undisputed champions of the world. And my friends, as we were singing just a couple minutes ago, when you consider the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, he is God. And he is worthy to be praised. And listen, as we praise and worship him, we are changed and transformed. That is our character and our nature. John Piper said, you look up on the screen, there is no salvation without the deity of Christ. There is no salvation without the deity of Christ. This is important. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So let's go ahead and look at the Galilean ministry where we see in verses 1 through 12, Jesus heals a paralytic. And we'll begin with verses 1 and 2 where Jesus preaches in Capernaum. Verse 1, 
And when he returned to Capernaum, some of, the, some of your Bibles and the other Gospels will say when he returned to his own city, and you would tell me, Danny, isn't Nazareth his city? Couldn't we say that Bethlehem was his city? Remember that during his ministry that Capernaum was his home base. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. That is, it was known throughout the community in the area that he was home. Verse 2, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. People are at the door. They're at the windows. And the last part of verse 2, and he, Jesus, was preaching the word to them. So Jesus returns home after possibly months of ministering throughout the region of Galilee, throughout the entire region. I want you to see God's heart in this as he goes into villages, as he goes into cities, as he encounters people in the wilderness, and he meets them, and he preaches to them about the kingdom of God. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. He meets their needs. He heals people. He delivers people from the kingdom of darkness, literally, He casts out demons, and he proclaims the kingdom of God to a people who were ready, who were prepared by John the Baptist. They were prepared for a king by John the Baptist, the Messiah. They were prepared by a king, by the circumstances they were experiencing. That is is the uh, Rome occupying them and oppressing them. And the thing that was in their minds is that God would have delivered them, or he had delivered them from Egypt. He had delivered them eventually from Babylon. And they believed with all of their hearts that when this king king came, that he would deliver them from Rome. But what does Jesus do? Jesus preaches, verse 2. He's been gone, now he's home. The word gets out, the crowds gather, and he preaches That is, Jesus explains the scripture in such a way that the average on-the-street individual, educated or uneducated is, is not important, that everybody can understand what the scriptures are saying. He explains it. Remember we said earlier on that Mark not Mark Mark um tells us that the crowd was amazed because he spoke as one having authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. When we read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 6, and chapter 7, we have an idea of what Jesus was proclaiming, what he was preaching to the people. And the people, my friends, were more than hungry to hear Jesus preach. And we have a home here, possibly Peter's home, and the people have gathered to hear him teach the people have gathered to hear him explain the scriptures. But what does this mean to us? What does it mean to us that he was preaching? What does it mean to us that he proclaimed a kingdom, a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven? I want you to think about this tonight. We'll conclude with this when I wrap up. I want you to think about this. What this means to us is that when you trust in Jesus, Paul says the following, and I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 3. As a matter of fact, maybe you noted that our growth groups are going to be going this fall through the book of Romans. But Paul says that because you trust in Jesus, this is true about you. Whether you feel like it's true about you or not, this is true about you. Romans 3, beginning in verse 24. 
where he says, you are justified by his grace, listen, as a gift. You have been justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this is true about you tonight, my friends. You are justified. Judicial terminology. You have been, the, the gavel has come down by God the judge and you have been declared righteous, not because of the life you lived, live or not live, but because of the life that Jesus lived. God counts you as righteous when you trust in him. Because of Jesus, you are now in right standing before God. And re- now remember, just in the mind of a Jew, all the laws, all the tradition, almost burdensome if you listen to Jesus' terminology, and he says, no, you are made right before God because you trust in me and I died for your sins. You were made right. You have been declared righteous by God. He also says that you were redeemed. I believe one aspect of redemption is that you've been set free from the power of evil. That is, sin is no longer a tyrant or a ruler in your life. I, I believe that this is one of those situations where, there, where it's true already now. It's already true, but it's not yet true that we will be completely redeemed. We will experience the completion of our redemption when Jesus returns. That is, I will no longer have a sin nature. Amen, my wife says. Right? Thank you. Thank you. I will no longer have a sin nature. I will never, no longer be influenced by the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I will no longer be influenced by the world around me when Jesus returns. But already now, I experience fruit of his redemption. And lastly, Jesus' blood atones, propitiation, atones for our sin. The word uh, propitiation pictures the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the high priest would come in on the day of atonement. And you know the story. He would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice upon the mercy seat under the wings of the cherubim, and Israel's sins would be atone for for a year. That is, God's wrath against that sin would be dealt with. Except you and I have had the Lamb of God's blood sprinkled on a heavenly mercy seat across an altar so that our sins are atoned for, that, they, that God's judgment has been satisfied. That's what we think about when we hear Jesus preaching the word. Jesus explaining the word. Jesus making God's word accessible to everyone he encountered. Now Mark also tells us that Jesus was at home, uh, that Jesus was in the house, so to speak. A man once told Jesus that he would follow him. He came up to Jesus and said, you know, I'm going to follow you. I'll follow you wherever you will go. I know I've had that, that attitude sometimes, you know, when I'm doing pretty good. You know, Lord, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll follow your calling. And listen to what Jesus told him from Luke chapter 9, verse 58. The terminology is rich. Jesus turned to the man and said, foxes have holes. That is, they have dens where they live. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Wanda and I live in a condominium. There's two-story 
We have wonderful uh, view of the hills behind us out towards Ramona and North Escondido. And, and at one time there was a golf course behind us. And it was interesting when, when, the golf, when the golf course was open, you would hear this whack. And then you hear some golfer speaking in tongues. I mean, he'd be up there. <laughs> and you could tell that he would do it again. He would go whack. And then he would be like. <laughs> it was interesting. No, no more golfers. But we do have birds. And one of the birds that comes to visit us because Wanda feeds them is, are the Orioles. And they're beautiful. At least the, the male bird looks, and never mind. But anyways, yeah, they come and you watch them and, and, and they kind of bicker with each other. And we also have hummingbirds. We had a hummingbird come by the house the other day. It looked like he had a rough day. And, you know, he looked, he, looked like, he looked like he needed some feather work or something. Sort of like the top of my head, but that's another story. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, obviously the title that he used for himself, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, some of us might think, well, then Danny was Jesus poor? Danny was Jesus homeless? Danny, had Jesus taken a vow of poverty? Or Danny was the gospel for these three years, was the gospel message, was the cross so primary to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the gospel of John in reference to the cross, Jesus' own words, he referred to it as my hour. When he turned the water into wine, he says to his mother, woman, my hour has not yet come. Could it be when he references not having a place to lay his head was that he saw himself on mission for three years until he achieved, remember the, the, remember the Passover meal when he told his disciples, listen, I have longed to observe this Passover with you was maybe he referencing the fact that he came to die for me and for you and that that mission would not allow him to take up residency in any geographical area until he communicated the gospel to all who would hear. My friends, tonight you are hearing the gospel. And it is God's heart for you to understand, to comprehend the gospel of God's love for you and that the God of the universe would become a man. Remember what John called him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our greatest need is to experience salvation that he, as Paul says, freely gives by grace. In verse 3 and 4, we have faithful friends. I hope you have faithful friends. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. That is, they uh, probably had something that they were carrying him on. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Represented in these four men, I want you to see yourself. I want you to see yourself in these four nameless individuals. 
who are very important, are a pillar in this story. Represented in these four men is something found in every one of you who prays for the salvation of others or for others to come to know Jesus. Let me say that again. These four men represent you. If your heart is moved towards prayer, whenever you think of a person that they would come to know Jesus, listen, this is important. When you think about that individual, when you pray to that individual, for that individual, not to them, you get in trouble if you do that, but when you pray for them, your faith is seen by God. Let me say something else here. Sometimes our awkward attempts of telling others about Jesus leaves us feeling like we're on the second string. That's, that's the only thing I ever knew in athletics was the second. Sometimes third, sometimes fourth. You know, a seat on the bus, maybe an old uniform. But you can feel like you dropped the ball. You can feel like you did something wrong when in reality your effort is commendable. Your prayers, and and let me say this especially as someone who regularly prays for others, that pull of your heart when you think of that, that spouse or that child or that friend, it's noticed by God. You're not second string. You have the heart of God as you consider as you desire, as you cry out to a throne in heaven on behalf of others. There's an honor of their being mentioned in the story, even though we don't have their names. There's an honor. There's a lifting up, an elevating of their role. Because this, my friends, is what faith looks like. This is what it looks like for the common individual, for the regular person. Your efforts tonight are seen by God as good regardless of how you perceive the outcome. You will be rewarded one day because you cared. You will be vindicated one day because you dared to love another person and saw their greatest need as being the forgiveness of their sins. Stephen Lee, he writes for desiring God said we get to, we get we're allowed to be the means by which God renews this world one soul at a time uh, you're you're a well-taught church you're not learning this for the first time when i say that homes in jesus's day had a flat roof if we were there at this time, we would have seen a stair, a stair around the exterior of the house, probably a ladder, which is how these men would have gotten the paralytic on, on the top of the roof. And, and this is where families would stay during the warmer, you know, this time of the year when it was warmer and there was a breeze. This was their patio. You may remember when Peter was in Joppa in Acts chapter 10, staying at Simon the Tanner's home where Luke tells us the next day as they were on their journey, these are those that Cornelius would send from Caesarea down to Joppa to get Peter. He says that next day when they were on their journey and approaching the city of Joppa, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that is about noontime, to pray. As while lunch was being prepared down below, Peter went above to pray. There by the Mediterranean, it's beautiful. 
It's wonderful. You go to Tel Aviv today, and Joppa's not far away. You see the surfers out there. It's like going over to Carlsbad or to La Jolla Shores tomorrow. But people were comfortable on the rooftop. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, and when Jesus sees your faith, when Jesus hears your prayer, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes I wonder if we realize that those small things that you do are expressions of faith. That smile to a stranger or the new employee on your job, that helping out of that elderly neighbor, that kind word, especially the day in which we live, Somebody says something sharp or barbed and you don't respond. My friends, that's faith. That's faith. Jesus sees their faith as they lower their friend down. There's an interesting verse in James chapter 2, verse 21. It says, was not, and this obviously is a question, was not Abraham our father justified, again, there's that word, or declared righteous, by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Old Testament scholars call this event the binding of Isaac. And it certainly was a test for Abraham. And it certainly was a test that he passed as as his obedience was seen in the offering of his son. For you see, Abraham believed that God would raise his son from the dead. Did the act justify Abraham? I believe that in a sense, Abraham's works or acts of obedience it's is seen by what he did. The other thing that I would want you to know or take into consideration before we move on is that when we look at these Old Testament saints and we look at the patriarchs, or we, we, we look at their lives, and the scriptures are vulnerable enough to allow us to see their moments of weakness and imperfection, that if you look carefully, you will see their faith over time begin to grow and mature. And that communicates to you and me that our faith over time will grow and mature. Pastor Ray used to say when we speaking of the patriarchs that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. So Jesus tells the paralytic, son, It's a term of affection. Son, your sins are forgiven. And and Danny Boy Boy goes, now hold on, Jesus. Brother needs to walk. I, I think the reason they brought him here was because he cannot walk. These four guys maybe are dragging his carcass from one end of Capernaum to the other. You know, I got to go to the Walmart. I got to go over there. I got to go over there. And so they're taking him everywhere, and they're happy to do that. But he needs to walk. But what does Jesus say? Son... Your sins are forgiven. Son, experience the forgiveness of your sins. In telling the man he is forgiven, Jesus deals with the greater need. Jesus deals with the eternal need. And I don't know who you are or what you've done, but Jesus would say to you tonight, if you turn to him, Your sins 
are forgiven. In the telling the man that he's forgiven, Jesus deals not only with the man's greater need, but he's also at the same time asserting his deity. I believe because the scribes are present there. Jesus' teach, teaching impressed the people. Be sure, we've heard that thus far through the first chapter. Wherever Jesus went and he taught, the people were impressed. If you and I heard Jesus teach within the pages of Scripture, if we had the ability to go back and be there, we would have been impressed by his teaching. His miracles, his healing, his deliverance from evil would have left, as it did then, would have left us in awe. But these wonderful realities must lead, must lead, to you and I worshiping him as God. Verses 6 through 12, just so you know. I have a friend, his name is James Class. He's preached here. He's a pastor down at Calvary Chapel Santee. And he was, he was the, our middle school pastor and then our high school pastor. And then he left us for some other church. I, 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 it didn't hurt my feelings. You know, I, I'm getting over it. Therapist said I'll be good in a couple of in a couple of years. But, but one of the things every year when his when his birthday comes up on Facebook and people are saying Happy Birthday, Pastor James! Happy Birthday, Pastor James! Danny just puts you know, you know, you know. So verse six. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there. That is, they were present and they were questioning in their hearts. This isn't something they verbalized. This is something they thought. Verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Jesus no longer speaking to the man, he looks to the scribes, and he asks them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. Verse 10, but that you may know. But that you may know. For those of you here tonight, those of you watching online, but that you may know. That you may understand that your sins are forgiven, but that you may know. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, or he turns to the paralytic, verse 11, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. That is, before all that had gathered. They obviously watched this. So that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. The logic of the scribes, verse 7, is fine. When they ask the question, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive sins. Their conclusion, however, is flawed. The offense of the scribes is rooted in their having rejected Jesus as Messiah. Jesus was beyond their expectation as to what Messiah would be. He was beyond the expectation of the, the disciples. He was beyond the expectation of the Jewish people. He was different than what they expected him to be. He didn't come the way they expected Messiah to come. They expected a military or a political leader that would rid them from the bondage of Rome. And he came to die on the cross. But notice the lengths to which Jesus goes to engage them. Jesus engages them. 
He deals with them. He's not passive. He asks the question, which is easier to say to the paralytic? And then he grants the, the paralytic physical healing. Mark doesn't get into it, into description the way some of the others do. But the man gets up. That is strength from God, enters into his body, and limbs that were, were not working, had the inability to work, begin to work. And before the very eyes of everybody in the room, he gets up, he walk, and he takes up his mat or his, walk, his bed, and he exits the home. Picture that in your mind. You and I know that it's easy to talk. You and I know that it's easy to say things, to just say things. But for what purpose? Listen, we live in a culture where words have lost their meaning in some capacity, not in the church. I believe our words, when, as they relate to the scriptures, have great meaning. We live in a day when people, we see people's mouths moving, but we don't hear what they're saying. We're formulating our response instead of listening to what they're saying. In our story, being offended isn't the worst thing that could happen. In fact, stumbling over Jesus may very well be the beginning of someone's coming to salvation. I believe that Jesus is engaging these men because he loves them. I believe that Jesus is challenging these men not only with his words and his, and his claim to deity, because he wants them to be offended. He wants them to struggle with their conception. He wants them to be challenged. As a matter of fact, when you, you consider somebody whose life was, was changed, I want you to think about Paul or Saul, who was not only hostile to the church, but to Jesus. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, of the condition Paul was in before he goes to Damascus. He says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And yet we know that his story is that when confronted with Christ, he would receive. He would receive him as Lord and no longer persecute the church but take the church to the farthest reaches of the known world. Listen, in closing, you may offend somebody when you speak the truth. It takes courage. It takes faith. That's really what I'm trying to say. It takes faith to sit down with somebody you care about and speak the truth, and they may be offended. Initially, you will feel bad. I know I do. But think about this. Truth is like a seed. In given time, truth possesses the potential for growth in the human heart. So then you lovingly, through a relationship, through a friendship, share truth. You may experience a degree of rejection. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you leave that door of relationship open, even if it's but a crack. And you wait for a time and opportunity Maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's somebody else who will watch that seed germinate and come and come to fruition. Verse 10 says, 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up, take your bed, and go home. But that you, but that you may know was spoken to those who pro, to protested Jesus' claims. Jesus shook their theological expectations of Messiah. But I want you to see God's love and Jesus taking the time to challenge these men. He didn't write them off. He spoke truth into their lives. He exhibited truth before them. The healing was an expression of God's grace for a paralytic, but it was also an expression of God's grace for the scribes. My friends, the story reminds us that God still speaks through his word so that you, so that you may know. This week, uh, by way of application, I want you to think about your being justified. I want you to just think about that, to meditate that. I want you to think that right now, because you trust in Jesus, that you are in right standing with God. There's nothing you can do to add to it. There's nothing you can do to take away from it. It's something Jesus has done on your behalf. You are justified. Secondly, I want you to think about your being redeemed, that you have been set free from the kingdom of darkness. That is, Jesus himself has paid the price for our sins. And then lastly, that you are forgiven. That you, as you sit here tonight, you, as you sit here tonight, are without spot or without blemish or wrinkle. You, my friends, you listening online, you are the bride of Christ prepared for her bridegroom. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.